time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 95 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? We are back to Costa Rican. Because I want to go back to Costa Rica. Well, that and I need good. that strong coffee. Let's go. Okay, so are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so we're sitting here. We've got our coffee. I'm really tired today. Oh, you got to wake up. I did not sleep We're talking about exciting stuff. I know we are. And I did not sleep well last night. I slept worse the night before last night. I had a very weird dream that we were back in your Lincoln Town car. Oh, yeah. In a warehouse going through a car wash. This big car needed a big car wash. And there was no windshield and they put the water and I was drenched on my side. What does this mean? Is anyone a dream expert <laughs> out there? Know. Tell us what this means. And I was like, Holly Ann, the water's coming in. And Give you were just driving and I'm like, I'm drenched. <laughs> Here's the important <laughs> detail. Were there any chickens in the car with us? No, we were just in the Lincoln. All right, that's okay then. I was drenched. <laughs> I'm sorry, but there were no chickens harmed in the making of this dream. No. So well, how are you doing? Pretty well on this side, enjoying the cooler temperatures. My current dilemma... I'm trying to decide what to put in my Nestera coop, or I should say, who oh, yeah. to put in my Nestera coop. I'm not sure. Well, mine went in the new run, mm-hmm. so the big girls are enjoying the extra space. Right. Gertie was going to go in there, but we decided to send Gertie with the baby so she wouldn't have to be by herself. Your girls are actually going in the Nestera coop to see what's going on. Is anybody yes. sleeping in there? No. But they are out there during the day and checking it out. So I yeah. keep checking it daily for eggs to see mm-hmm. if they've laid eggs in there or not. It gives more space. In that run, we have seven chickens. It's not a crazy number. Right. So that extra space lends that we can have a few more chicks in there at some point. Yeah. And it gives them some space. If somebody wanted to be by themselves, they could. It's true. So we can use those in a variety of ways. We can hatch some more nankins. You could. The thing with nankins, and the reason I haven't done any more hatching, is because I want a few different bloodlines in there. Yeah. Ideally, another cockerel and other hens. Yeah. So thinking about that, and then I'm also thinking about next year. Yeah. You know, yeah. Do I want some Yokohamas? This next year, I'm like, I need to take a little bit of a break, get through with building the new run and, and all of the other stuff that's gone on and just settle into what I have for now. You're in as full. It is, but I can never say that 100%. I know. That's the nature of it. You can't. (laughs) Being a chicken lady, you cannot say that. Well, it's what we do for a living. So I feel like we have a built-in excuse. Yeah. But everybody's happy out there. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting along pretty well. The interfence is peeled away one panel of it. Mm -hmm. So they can jump in and out easily Uh between them. Okay. There's no major fights going on. So we're good there. 
Good. Hopefully in two or three weeks that inner fence will be gone. I still have to integrate my Andalusians and Delaware. They are in a pen inside of the what we call the Jersey Giants run. Yeah. And so probably in a couple of weeks, we'll start mingling. They're easy because they are hardcore. They're fast. They're fast. And my only experience with them right now is they're kind of, for lack of a better word, a little ballsy. They, they like go up to the big girls like, come they've on. They've got you, some cojones. You want some of this? Come on. Come on. <laughs> so yeah, fun times. Absolutely. I'm going to take a second to ask everyone a huge favor. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. The other thing that really helps out and you never miss an episode is hit that subscribe button. Then the episodes drop in automatically when we drop them every Tuesday and you don't miss anything. Great thanks to our most recent reviewers. They were fantastic reviews. Yay, thank you. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell a chicken-loving friend about us. You can visit our Etsy shop. Our new mugs are available. Yay! We have three different great designs. You're going to love them. You can become a patron of the show. Visit us on Patreon, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the Ikea scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. Okay, it's time for the Breed Spotlight, yeah! Yeah. Yeah. We didn't mention this in our introduction, but yesterday... We're recording this a day after the Queen of England passed away. I know. I'm sad. I'm very sad. Rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth. And the current King of England is a big proponent of today's breed. And that's why I wanted to do it right there because the breed spotlight today is... The Orpington. 
We did the Orpington in episode two. I know many of you have listened, but this is a 2.0. This is a lot like the Rhode Island Ray where we did a deep dive. What we're going to do is start to redo some of the more popular breeds and dive a little deeper into the history, give you some more details, and just reiterate, hey, would this be a good chicken for your flock? Absolutely. You get the story behind them. You get some more details about them. We're going to tell you some stuff that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Nope, because Holly does the deep dive. That's what I do. (laughs) So the Orpington. The Orpington is one of the best known breeds amongst chicken keepers, both old and new. This is why we picked this for number two. Rhode Island Red and Buffalo Orpington are both quintessential chickens in the chicken world. The Orpington is a heritage breed success story, and it's a very good option for brand new chicken ladies and men. I think it's your chicken you should start off with. There are many arguments for that. The Orpington spent some time on the Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority list, and they finally graduated in 2016. They're a real success story as far as that goes, and they are a heritage breed, even though they're not currently on the list. They're a graduate of the The list. The thing I like about them is the Buff Orpington, like the Rhode Island Red, they're wonderful chickens, and their availability is super high. Yes. So when you go to your local farm supply stores or a bigger chain farm supply store, you're going to be able to find them. And you can absolutely get them there. Or you can get picky about your bloodlines and find some other breeder. You figure out your own reasons for doing things oh, yeah. and decide what works best for you. So like we did with the Rhode Island Red 2.0, we're going to tell the story of the Orpington as well as the story of the man who developed them and made them famous. Yeah. But first the basics. Mm-hmm. The Orpington are a heavy breed of chicken originating in Kent, England. They were first introduced in 1886 in the black color variety. Which is not nearly as popular as the buff right now, so it may be hard to believe, but that's how they started. Exactly. They're dual purpose, though they're not at all top-notch layers. They get by on their looks. Well, and that's fine. (laughs) They are respectable layers of brown eggs, but I would not say they're great, no. They're not in the upper echelons of egg layers. And that's okay because they have other qualities that you're going to forget about laying eggs once you get them. One of the complaints I have about general histories of livestock on the internet is that people tend to borrow from each other. Oh, yeah. And so where I'm going with this is if you look at the essays that the Livestock Conservancy writes about each breed, they are sometimes wholesale cut and pasted into people's quote-unquote histories of a breed. Oh, yeah. And one of the things that I think people are cutting and pasting and not bothering to evaluate is the Orpington on the list of the top 10 best heritage layers. Because I can give you 10 to 15 chickens that are better layers than the Orpingtons on any day. If you have them. You're going to know what we're talking about with this. If you do not have them, you're going according to what you're reading online. And everyone online is going to tell you they're in the top five layers. And I have them. Yes. They're not. They're not. And that's okay. That's just them. Right. They're respectable layers. The reality is, in a lot of these early sources, I have found that the early Orpingtons were good layers. But it's probably the fact that generations of breeding from the show ring have bred a lot of that laying prowess out of them. Oh, yeah. And you can arguably call them a triple purpose breed because they have been popular showbirds from the get-go. Then let's just put them quadruple because their personality is a whole nother aspect in itself. The other thing is what they have going against their egg-laying ability is their broodiness. Right. So they go broody very easily. I mean, the temperature can change five degrees and they're going to go broody. And that's going to cut into their egg-laying right there. Right. Also, with age, they're not one that sustains their egg-laying through the years. Well, right. In fact, that's the note I made. Young Orpington hens may produce three to sometimes four eggs a week. 
to about 180 to 200 a year. But as they get older, like in the second and third years, this comes down quickly to an average of two per week. I 100% agree. The first year, they're going to lay three to four a week. Mm -hmm. After the first year, they're going to come back and lay maybe two to three a week. And then it's going to go down from there. Right. And I feel like the Brahmas are very similar. But when you have them as a pet chicken, the eggs are, you know, plus, not a must. I honestly think people overestimate the amount of players they need. And there's nothing wrong with that, says the woman with 30-odd chickens. Yeah. But if you really, 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 for whatever reason, need good layers, I'm not putting Orpington's that top 10. If you only have so much space and you can only have so many chickens and your main goal is to feed your family with eggs... Uh then you want Rhode Island Red and Leghorns. There are certain breeds that you Polish, want. Polish, Hamburgs, yeah. Yeah. Speckled Sussex, yeah. Dominiques. The I Orpington <laughs> is, I think, the number one starter bird. Everyone should start with an Orpington. And then that way they'll learn how to handle the bird. But you're not going to get top eggs out of this bird. And it's okay. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. So your Orpington roosters weigh in around 10 pounds. They're big. Yes. Your hens are about eight. Yep. And your hens are that size. I've heard various people say, and this could be just from widespread availability and not the best bloodlines. I've heard a lot of people say the Orpington hens are not coming up to their standard weight. Yours are. My buffs are. My lavenders did not. And Well, they don't have a breed standard, arguably. Right. But if they're Orpingtons, if they're Orpingtons you, you, you would, would expect see. Exactly. that they would be at the same size. Right. Now, they were about five and a half to six pounds, not closer to eight. Yeah. Now, my two buffs, they're closer to eight pounds. Right, right. Also, if you've ever held an eight-pound chicken... It's a handful. That's a clear. When you pick up a clear, you need to put some strength into it's it. It's both arms. Yeah. You're not holding two different things. Oh, no. It's not like when I walk around with clover under one arm swinging yeah, no. her through. Nope. So they're large, and the Orpingtons can look even larger because they have all that beautiful soft feathering. Yeah. The feathers make their legs appear short, but this is important to mention. They should never look as low to the ground as a cochin. No. Their legs should always be clean. They're different. Yes. Now, if you're looking at them structurally, their back is a bit long, but it's wide in the mm-hmm. back, and their chest is deep. They're beautiful. Gorgeous There's another chickens. way to yeah. look at it. We were talking about this the other day. The one thing that I like about the Orpingtons is that you could have all Orpingtons and look like you have a mixed flock because of the color variety. Absolutely. This is a weird thing to say, and it sounds funny, but it's true. They, they have kind of small heads in relation they to their do. bodies, but then they have moderate-sized straight combs. They have the bright red faces, combs, waddles, and earlobes. And I think with breeding and genetics, you're going to get what I want to say. Some variation. A in variation. The, in the comb size. Of comb size uh-huh. and waddle size. And having the Orpingtons, I have one that has next to no comb and uh-huh. then one who had a huge comb. So I think there is a variation in there. Right. Now, if you're showing them, you really want to work for a, a very moderate size comb to fit the standard of perfection. Exactly. The other thing, an Orpington will always have white legs and feet. Always. Always. Yep. Now, let's go into the colors. Well, these are the APA accepted colors. Let's just, okay, the accepted colors. Buff. Black. White. And blue. Okay, so that's not that long, but let's go into the non-accepted. Not accepted, but equally gorgeous. Chocolate. Lavender. Red. The Diamond Jubilee. Cuckoo. Lemon Cuckoo. Spangled. Silver Laced. Gold Laced. Partridge. The Exquisite Isabella Pattern. There may even be more than this list. They're beautiful, the personalities, and... The egg thing, it is part of who they are. It is. 
Just a quick note on colors. The spangled is the old word for mottled. Yeah. So that is a mottled bird. And of yeah. course, the Diamond Jubilee, which we did cover back in April, so, I think. Yeah. And the Jubilees are big. They're very big. And they're maroon with black and white speckling. Yes. So and mine are, one is like a wine color and one's like brown, but with a hint of red. Yes. Mine actually are the same. So I Queen mean, Victoria is definitely more red. Yeah. And Queen Elizabeth is a brown. Brown. Yeah. 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 As we mentioned, these are generally calm and friendly and excellent birds for families. And children. Very good in a mixed flock. Yes. Here's the other thing that I mentioned before. They go broody. But? They're great moms. Yeah. They're fantastic. I had Josie. She is not with us anymore. She actually died of a heart attack in the nesting box. It's not funny, but if you knew this chicken, you never got her out of the nest box. I could never get her out of the nest box, and she was mom head to everybody. Yeah. And- she was healthy, like as far as I could see, yeah. every other time before I found right, her like right. this. Orpingtons, they just want to be moms all the time. But Bubbles and Buttercup have never gone broody, at least not a full-blown broody period. Not like Josie. Yeah. But I think it has something to do with being with Josie. Could be. We have this theory that broodiness makes more broodiness. Yeah. It rubs off. So. I mean, they wanted to be the fun ants. They uh, had Josie. I'm right there with them. <laughs> <laughs> but the Lavenders go broody a lot. Yeah. And we just added two more orphans. Yeah, it remains to, to be seen if the Jubilees will go broody a lot. We shall I see guarantee a re- it. report on that. But their heads are way different than the heads on they're the other They're still Orpingtons. small, but they're not as small. Their beaks are shaped differently. The Jubilees have a real long beak. They do have a long beak. Compared to the other ones, and yeah. it's shaped differently. Yeah. So I kind of feel like the Jubilees' genetic lines are different than, like, say, just the common, like, buff. Well, back the, in that episode that we did on the Jubilees, we talk about the genetic line there, and it's straight from the Cook family. So the Orpingtons were accepted by the British Poultry Club pretty early on. And they first appeared in the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection. For the buff, it was in 1902. The black and the white were accepted in 1905. And it wasn't until 1923 that the blue was accepted. So these are the four colors you can show in the U.S. Now, like we said, that black Orpington was the first variety developed by William Cook in Orpington, Kent, England. Cook took black langshans, black minorcas, and Plymouth rock chickens. Mm -hmm. And that's how he developed the black Orpington. The buff followed pretty quickly. And these are unusual varieties, but I found this over and over. So he used buff cochins. I see it totally. Totally see that. As well as golden spangled hamburgs and dark dorkings. The hamburgs are very small chickens. They are. They're good layers. Yeah. And then the dark dorking. I read that the beautiful white Orpingtons are a sport of the buff. Okay. I haven't been able to substantiate that, but it does make sense. Yeah. Now, left on their own, the Orpingtons, they may or may not have gone on to become the extremely popular chickens that they are. But this is where the story gets interesting because William Cook was not going to leave that to chance. No, I mean, William Cook was pretty intense on making this breed big time. And he didn't take shortcuts. He really put the time in developing these breeds. He's an excellent breeder. Yeah. Cook spent his early working years, essentially as a teenager, as a carriage driver. So he was about 20 years old when he started breeding poultry. By 1886, he was satisfied where his Orpington development was, and he finally set up as a poultry business. Right. Now, he was an amazing entrepreneur, and he really wanted to give people full support for these birds. Once he had the Orpingtons in full swing, he also started working on ducks. So he developed the Orpington breed of duck. Oh, wow. And he also did some horse breeding. He just was a lover of animals. He really was. Now, like we said, he wasn't content with the breeding. He was showing as well. And some of that was promotion because he was definitely a marketing guy as well as a breeder. 
He never stopped marketing these birds. He showed and marketed them in England. He created the first Orpington Club, and he eventually presented them at a meeting at the Crystal Palace in London, but he still didn't stop there. This is fascinating because I had no idea anyone did anything like this. He had a line of poultry and horse medication developed, and he even made a bird hospital. Cool. Yes. They also sold feed, vitamins, delousing powder, broody laying coops, poultry housing, and essentially a bunch of other stuff that sounds like everything you would need to keep chickens. The old time farm supply store. Kind of? Yeah. But he made a chicken hospital. My question to that is, did he have a veterinarian in there? I don't know in the 1880s what it took to be a veterinarian. <laughs> I don't know. Either. I honestly do not know. So we can't comment on that with any accuracy. No. He just made something called a bird hospital. So the other really fascinating thing here is that almost the entire Cook family was involved with the poultry. Well, of course, because he had a severe passion for it. Uh, absolutely. Most of his children had a hand in the business, and a few of them went on to establish international branches. Of particular interest, Elizabeth Jane Cook, the oldest daughter, she ran the farm whenever her father was away from home. After he died, she continued to manage the business for the rest of her life. He passed on his love of chickens. Well, she is credited with developing the red Orpington, and I want to say the cuckoo too. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you see a brother-in-law credited with a cuckoo, but it looks like Elizabeth Jane was the one who did it. The son, Percy Cook, set up and ran a branch of Cook & Sons in New Jersey, so he did the American branch. Another son, whose name I never found, ran a branch in South Africa. At some point, Cook had taken some of his ducks and his black Orpingtons to Australia. This line was the foundation for the Australorp, essentially the Australian utility Orpington. It's just as big as the Orpington. Yes. Over here in the U.S. It's even bigger than Australia. I did not mention them for the champion layers. They should be in the top five layers. No question. Well, when we did the Astrolarp as a breed spotlight, we put in there that basically they won. Oh, they shattered records everywhere. Yeah. They absolutely did. And you don't think of them as master layers because they're huge. But they are. But they are. Very good layers. So somehow that mix worked and stood the test of time. Yeah. The Orpingtons had arrived in the U.S. by 1891, and they were actively being shown because, again, they were popular showbirds from the beginning because they're gorgeous. In 1903, William Cook himself packed up a bunch of his stock, and he brought them to the U.S., and Americans immediately appreciated all of the Orpingtons' excellent qualities. Now, the buff and the white were especially well-received here, Yeah, and sales of them were going crazy. So that really added to Cook's success. I have to say, Buff Orpingtons are, I believe, one of the most beautiful chickens. It's classic good looks. I mean, they really are beautiful chickens. I had not seen a white in person until two years ago when we saw some at the Maryland Poultry Spot. Yes. And they were so gorgeous. That was the lady who had her chickens in cribs. She had the chicks in a crib. It was the cutest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. But her Orpingtons were gorgeous. Yeah. I love Orpingtons. I really do. They're (laughs) one of my favorites. There are some caveats, the broodiness and different things. Right. Be aware of those things also. Absolutely. It's a big chicken. You need to house it accordingly. All of those things. This is unfortunately the part of the story where things get a little sad. So first, unfortunately, Cook's wife, Jane, was killed in a gas explosion. That's not good. Well, he was abroad. And the sad thing is he got back to the U.S. in 1904 and he died the day after he came home. That's not good. No. Cause of death was attributed to emphysema. He left this amazing legacy for the chicken world, for the heritage I mean, he's known. When you do a search in Orpington, his name comes right up. Yes, What doesn't come up is all the stuff that you go and research and find out for everyone. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of digging. It was just fascinating that like all the kids are involved, that the whole Cook family is breeding. Yeah. 
you know me, I love a good historical chicken lady. Yeah. So Elizabeth Jane Cook, I think is fascinating. Yeah. So what does that leave us with? Where are you going to find these beauties? And that's everywhere. Pretty much. If you're interested in showing, there is a United Orpington Club in the US and the Orpington Club of the UK. We'll link both of those in our show notes. It might take a little more detective work to find some of those more unusual color varieties. Right. That's what I was just going to say. Buff is everywhere. Yeah. Now, when you want a different color, here's a problem. The red and the chocolate, a lot of times you have to get them straight run. Uh, yeah. And I'm not sure about that. We should check in with somebody who does some breeding and see if we can figure out why that is. We'll have to ask Ginger. Yeah. I don't quite understand the sexing. What's the difference? Right. If they're harder to sex at that age. But a lot of times, if you want red or chocolate, you have to get straight run. We have definitely seen them straight run a lot of times. Google's your friend. Yeah. You know, plug in your zip code. See if there are any local Orpington breeders. Check with friends, other chicken people that have Orpington. See where they got them. The lavenders are much more popular also now. Yes. And a little bit easier to get. At some point, they were like true designer and you couldn't find them anywhere. The more people want... Yeah. The more they'll be available. And the lavenders are one that I feel like you need to be careful of the breeding. If you want to search out buff, chocolate, lavender, or white. Where we're going to send you. Murray McMurray Hatchery. Of course. The excellent lines there. Yes. You can't go wrong with them and their quality of birds. And don't turn your nose up at the white Orpingtons. No. They are startlingly beautiful. You would not expect a pure white chicken to be that gorgeous, but they are. I actually like a white chicken. I do too. I have two of them now. Yeah. They're really pretty. And like you said, you can't go wrong with an Orpington. You want a friendly chicken. I believe this is my number one starter chicken. It's not number one list of egg layers. It's starter chicken so that you can get used to handling a bird. Yeah. Because this bird will let you handle them. I have no reservations about any of those. The only caveat I have about these is that this is a big bird. You need to house them. You need to have enough room in your coops and runs. You need to keep your perches lower so they're not jumping from a high roost. Just make sure that they're in an environment where they're not jumping down from very high places because you don't want strain on their legs. Yeah. If you're just starting with chickens in the first five years, uh-huh. I don't see anybody who has chickens less than five years as an expert. An expert. I think the Orpingtons are a good breed for you because you can learn with them. They're going to let you hold them. They're going to let you give them a pill or a liquid. They'll sit on your lap. They'll follow you around the yard. And that's what you need to start off with. They'll help you build your confidence as a chicken keeper. They'll be a good partner to help you learn a whole lot of things. Yeah, Yeah. so for sure. That is a deep dive into the absolutely beautiful Orpington chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have Orpingtons, I know you guys have Orpingtons out there. I have Orpingtons. Send us your pictures on stories. Tag us. We will give you a share. We love seeing pictures of your chickens. Mm -hmm. Please send them. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties' store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, 
What are a nipple and what are our cup kits? And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. This week, we want to take a look back at sauerkraut. A lot of people have had some crop issues this month. And they're messaging us and we're helping them through. And we want to go back and take a look at it again. Right. We have the most common questions. Try to clarify some things for people. So we're just going to start off with what is sauerkraut? Okay. So let's look at sauerkraut. And it's just basically the name for an infected crop. People will tell you it's yeast. It is not necessarily yeast. The crop can be infected with yeast or bacteria. Or both. The crop can stop functioning properly also because of viruses and heavy metal poisoning. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But if you're dealing with sour crop, it's a non-functioning crop that has led to an infection. One of the main reasons why they call it sour is because those things create a smell. Right. Stuff sits in there. It sits in there and it ferments. Yeah. And it grows an overabundance of yeast or bacteria or both. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can smell that. You can. And a lot of times when you look at a chicken, well, you're going to see the crop issue, but then you're going to smell that smell. And sometimes you don't smell it. No, but I mean, that's why they call it sour Exactly. Crop. That's where the name comes from. But just know that if you open your chicken's beak and there's not a fail smell, it still does not mean they don't have sour crop. And once you've smelled it, you'll know it forever. You'll know it. It's a nasty smell. How can you tell if your chicken's crop is sour? So let's go back in. We did this for a tip of the day a while back. Mm-hmm. We used Gertie as our model. The first thing every chicken owner should be doing is looking at crops every morning Mm -hmm. and sometimes in the evening. Yeah. Crops should be full in the evening and flat in the morning. That's right. The body digests all the food overnight Mm -hmm. and the crop over those eight to 10 hours flattens. Right. So first thing in the morning when you open that door and they come out, the crop should be flat. Right. If it's not flat, that's your first detection that Mm -hmm. something is awry. Right. So if you see a chicken in the morning and they have a bulge or you feel a bulge where their crop should be, that crop did not empty overnight and you need to do some investigation. The first thing you want to do is feel the crop. What does it feel like? Is it still firm like the food? Like a hard ball? Or does it feel like what we always say, a water balloon? And you'll know this when you feel it. It just feels like a big, squishy, liquidy pouch. Yes. It literally feels like a water balloon. If it feels like that, there's a problem. Yeah. If it still feels hard, that's a problem also. Right. If it still feels hard, you may have an impaction or you may have a slow or non-functioning crop. A ball in there overnight, even several nights, does not necessarily mean an impaction, but it does mean the crop is not working properly. It's not working as quickly as it's supposed to. Right. The only way that you can detect this is by feeling the crop. Right. We get questions sometimes, my chicken has a crop that feels like there's water in it first thing in the morning. That's a clear sign. That That's, something's yeah, going something's on. a little off there. Yeah. The other thing, which I did not realize until I've gone through it with Gertie, is the neck move. Oh, the snake neck, we call it. We call it the snake neck. So when they're trying to move things around in the crop to get them to move through, Mm -hmm. they do a thing with their neck or they may open their mouth and look like they're yawning. Some of that is just normal redistribution. Some of it is. But if you have a watery crop. But right. If you see that in conjunction with a big lumpy crop or a watery crop. I mean, throughout the day, you might see a chicken do that. It looks like they're yawning and they're just trying to redistribute things. Yes. In Gertie's case, when they have a big wad in there that can't move, you're going to see it over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And the snake, Nick, it almost looks like someone doing a snake dance move. Yeah. And I've never seen that before her. 
I've never seen it before her. Eclair. But then Eclair did it Eclair too. Eclair did it too. And, and I was like, uh oh. And that was the straw. Houston, we have a big problem. <laughs> we had a big problem with both of them. Yeah. So, yes, ours had impactions, mm-hmm. which turned into an infection right. due to the impaction. Exactly. They can just get an infection and not have an impaction. Because we had very advanced cases, we saw some regurgitation. That's the other question that we get a lot. A lot. There's water coming out of my chicken's beak, and that's called regurgitation. The chicken sometimes can only hold so much in that crop. In some cases, your chicken just sucks down a lot of water, and they might spit back up a little bit of it. Yeah. And it can be normal. You'll see that a lot in the summertime when they hang over the water yeah. bowl, and then it comes up, that's okay. Now, if you're seeing it repeatedly, again, With the full crop, it's time to take a look. You can see regurgitation in heavy metal poisoning. Yeah. And in that case, the crop may be slow. It may not be working, but you're probably going to also see some other symptoms as well. So just be cognizant of the fact that if your chicken regurgitates, it needs investigation. And if it turns out to not be an obvious crop problem, you may want to get the heavy metal blood test done. But that's what your veterinarian. Absolutely. If you're feeling a water balloon crop and seeing regurg, it's a problem. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to take a look at that. What is happening there is there's no more space in that crop. Mm -hmm. It's not going anywhere, so it comes back up. Sometimes when you notice a chicken standing still in the yard and you pick them up, sometimes a little yes. liquid comes at them when you accidentally squeeze the crop. Yes, that's a problem also. Yeah, yeah. So that brings us into if we're seeing all these things, we have a water balloon crop, we're seeing regurge, we're seeing a quiet chicken not really moving around too much. They're they might be puffed. moving their neck, they're mm-hmm. puffed. At what point should we call the veterinarian? Well, I've got to tell you, over 20 years of chicken care, I have rethought a lot of my previous crop treatments. And the reason for that is they don't work most of the time. Many years ago when I started, everyone said, you just treat it on your own. You treat it on your own. You don't realize how many extra steps are in to treat on your own and how much more money you will end up spending by treating it on your own. And so the short answer is when do I call the vet? Right away. Immediately. We say this a lot. We think it's really important for everyone to have a veterinarian before there's an issue. Absolutely. Working in an animal hospital for so many years, I know this for a fact. I'm going to be honest with you. If you're not a client somewhere and they're packed, they're not going to take you whether it's an emergency or not. And then having poultry on top of it, that makes it even harder. And that's why I say this to you. Find a vet before there's an issue. Because once you have a foot in the door and you have a relationship there, it's much easier to get in when you have a problem. And it's going to take a little making things a priority. Having that relationship with a veterinarian is going to help you. It will. And that's with any of your animals. It doesn't have to be the one that's sick. Absolutely. You have to have somebody in the door that's been there. It's been a patient. Yes. So here's the other thing. It's hard to find a poultry vet sometimes. Right. So do the research up front. You do not want to try to scramble to find a poultry vet when your chicken's sick. It happens on a Friday night. You yep. can't get anyone on a Saturday. It happens on a holiday weekend. It happens at the worst possible times. Yes. So here's what I'll tell you. You read online, there are all these over-the-counter ways to fix a sour crop. And I've had success a couple of times, but I've also had some really tragic losses. Yeah. And so now when I have a crop issue, it is an instant trip to the vet because my veterinarian can swab that crop, see what's going on. Like we mentioned in the beginning, bacteria and yeast or both mm-hmm. can be causing this infection. So you need to know what you're treating. When you go to the veterinarian, when you have the relationship with them, you call them, you say, this is the problem. My bird's really sick. 
You're going to take your chicken in. They're going to do what's called a cytology. And they just stretch open their beak and they put down a swab and they swab in that area and look at it under the microscope. Mm -hmm. That way they can see, are there too many yeast in there, too many bacteria, too many both? And we can either treat with an antibiotic or a nystatin or Or both, both, Mm -hmm. which kind of brings us into the next question. Right. Nystatin. This is an antifungal medication. Right. Now, in the U.S., nystatin is a prescription medication. And I will say that it is the best yeast treatment that I have used to date. And here's the question. There's so many people out there that are like, okay, I can't get to the vets. I'm going to go into the women's health care section. get my or And get yeah. an over-the-counter, something that women use vaginally for yeast problems. They're not the same drugs as a nice statin that's prescription strength from your veterinarian. Right. They're also more expensive. They are more expensive. Any of those that you go in and buy, they're 20 plus dollars. Uh-huh. When you have a relationship with a veterinarian, you're going to pay an exam fee and then you're going to pay for the medication. Right. So this medication is made to treat the yeast that's in this crop. Yes. There are many different types of fungus. So the nice statin that you get at your veterinarian is targeted towards these yeasts. Right. Likewise, if they can see what bacteria is there, yep. if they're not going to send off a culture, they can give you a broad spectrum that's very successful. Yes. In the case of Eclair, Eclair had eaten straw. We couldn't get it to move. She had developed a massive bacterial and yeast infection. It was co-infection. And so she was on such a big dose of antibiotics and nystatin that we had to tube them into her crop. The moral of this story is if I had, when I first noticed that blockage, taken her to a vet... I mean, I tried to treat it for a few days on my own. Hey, we all do that. We've all tried it. I took her to Dr. Rebecca. That was my first visit with Dr. Rebecca. We've got the prescriptions. She had the little surgery to get the crop emptied. Yeah. We got that infection under control and we saved her. And Gertie had a major straw impaction that turned into both bacteria and yeast infection. She had both as well. And I did the first few days use an over-the-counter antifungal medication. I kept her going, but didn't get her better. And she also had the surgery for the impaction. So we've lived and learned. Oh, yeah. It would be so much cheaper just to go have the exam and get the medications you need. It actually is because you do end up throwing a lot of money at it. Now, with the proper medications, you should start to see an improvement in about 24 hours. The chicken will start to look back to her old self again. They might start eating on the second or third day. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty quick. The other thing we want to mention is apple cider vinegar. So apple cider vinegar is not a cure-all. Vinegar in itself is a natural... Antimicrobial, yeah. So what it does is it can control certain normal flora that are in the gut. It's an acidifier and it helps balance the pH. So that you don't have an overgrowth of bacteria. In the crop in the gut, right. But it's not going to cure a massive infection. The infection has to be pretty slight for apple cider vinegar to work. So it's a preventative thing. Absolutely. So if anyone on the internet or anywhere else is telling you, just give them some ACV, if your chicken has a bona fide fungal and yeast infection, ACV is not going to cure it. No, because it doesn't kill bacteria. It changes the pH in the gut so that bacteria cannot overgrow, but it will not kill what's in there. Right. It will stop them from flourishing. Yeah. Let's go back into recovery and future prevention. There's one tool along with going to the vet, and we've talked about this many times, that we think everybody should have in your first aid kit. Yeah. And it's a crop bra. Right. And if you're on a budget and you can't spring for the usual $20 or $25 for a really good one, you can make it at a vet wrap. We have a video on Instagram and on YouTube showing you how to make a crop bra out of vet wrap. 
in a pinch. It works. If you want to order a nice one, we have also a place where you can order a nice one. If you message us, we can let you know where to go. If not, you need one quickly, that wrap. It works. It's quick, it's cheap, and it's functional. Think of the crop as an outside stomach. So they feel pain, just like you would feel a stomach ache. Right. Those muscles can get really painful, and then they don't want to contract them and use them. And the skin can stretch. Yes, which Gertie's case, that's what happened. So So the crop bra keeps the crop up high and in place so that they don't have to contract as often on their own to push food through. When you have put a crop bra on properly, and it does need to be pretty tight, it literally acts like a bra. Like a shelf. Right. It holds the crop up like a shelf. Exactly. Yep. And And they look funny. And believe me, Gertie had to wear one for what, two months? And you know what? If you just bring your chicken home from having a crop surgery, put this thing on. They're not going to like it at first. They will get used to it. We promise you. It is for the best. For every crop problem, sour crop impaction, we always recommend to have a crop rot on those chickens. It makes it a lot easier for them. Less contraction of the crop, their muscles, if they had a surgery to take an impaction out, they're going to be sore. Well, right. They've had an incision through their muscle. Right. So that's one thing that we recommend that you always right. have. Now for prevention, ACV, one tablespoon, one gallon of water, one time a week. That's all you need. One, one, and one. And it can help keep the gut pH exactly where it needs to be so that you don't have a chance of overgrowing bacteria. Keep in mind, this is an acid. Too much ACV can cause diarrhea and gastric upset on its own. It takes away the natural bacteria, the normal flora that they're supposed to have in the crop. Something else really helpful for recovery of crop problems is having a crumble food on hand and feeding small amounts of that. In some cases, mash will work. In other cases, it won't. That's individual. We didn't mention this, but we should. Omnivore care. Of course. If you have a relationship with your veterinarian, this is by prescription in the U.S., This is a powder food that's powder to liquid. And this food is amazing. It is filled with fat and vitamins and everything that an omnivorous animal would need. It's a lifesaver, literally. So when the crop is feeling so bad and can take no weight from even mash or crumble, it can take liquid. Absolutely. This is a completely liquid food that you can tube or syringe feed. You and I both do it different ways. You tube feed it. I syringe feed it. You mix it and it's a liquid and it gives them everything they need. Yes. So Gertie, after the second surgery, for the first, I'd say, six weeks, was only on liquid food. I had to feed her every two hours. Her crop was so sore that any amount of weight from crumble, from anything, it would make it sag and she wouldn't push it off. Well, right. And in fact, I was the one who picked her up from the surgery and I had her for the first week. You were away. And so Dr. Rebecca had us do the omnivore care, but we started at like five cc's and worked up from there until we were giving her like 60 out of feeding. Yeah. That's when Gertie discovered the screaming. Yeah. That's when she started screaming at people. (laughs) What a chicken. When she knew it was feeding time, she would scream at you. Yes. Like literally scream at you. But yeah, so that is a good thing. Look it up. It's an unbeatable tool for recovery. And it's prescription. And this is one of the reasons why we say have a relationship with your veterinarian. They have the special tools that you can only get from them that make life so much easier. Right. If you're out there and you're in a place you can't find a vet, contact us. We will help you. We will help you find a vet. If you're out there and you have a great vet, we want to start a database our own selves just so that right. we know which vets are out there that are great poultry vets. If you have a great poultry vet, message us or email us the name, the address, and their phone number. Please. A lot of this information is already out there. You can go to Poultry DVM and use the database that Kelly has developed there. 
you can go to the Association of Avian Veterinarians, but we want to make a third place for it. Yes. That's searchable by state. That when somebody comes to us, we have right at our fingertips. If we know that somebody in Michigan is looking for a vet in Ann Arbor and we have somebody else already there that has a great vet, we want to be able to say to you, we know this person has this vet. It's great. Go there. Yeah. But sauerkraut, for some reason, lately in the last month, we've had so many people come to us. So many people. I don't know if it's a weather thing. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't either. I can't even count how many people we've had struggling with sauerkraut. I mean, we'll help you as much as we can. The problem is there is a time where you need intervention from a professional doctor. And, you know, sometimes you do have to drive. It would be great if we all had a poultry vet 15 minutes away. I drive to Dr. Rebecca. She's only eight minutes from me. I'm Uh, so lucky. Shut up. (laughs) So lucky. But I would drive an hour and a half if I had to, two hours. You do what you have to do. And unfortunately, finding the vet once you have a problem, everybody's stressed. You're not going to be able to get in. If you have a foot in the door already, they're going to make room for you. And generally, sauerkraut, you're paying for an exam. And meds. Right. Maybe an x-ray. If there's a crop impaction and you require surgery, that's obviously going to be more. Right. But it shouldn't be like thousands of dollars. Sometimes there is a charge that you'll take for the cytology. That's a very important thing to do. And it's usually minimal. It tells them what kind of medicine to give you. It's really important. But it's much easier than spending hours looking on what can I buy over the counter what can when I do? you can just spend an hour at the vets. They give you what you need, you give it, and you'll start to see a difference. Right. We're speaking from experience here, yeah. and we just want to pass it on to help people. Help you help your birds because it's not fun no. watching them suffer from Sick this. chickens, never fun. It's, it's very hard on everyone involved. If you have any other questions, please, we're here. This is what we do. If we feel like your next step is to call your vet, we'll let you know that too. Let's say you're a homesteader and you call your birds. That's your choice. We respect that. Don't let anyone, however, tell you it's a waste of money to take your bird to the veterinarian because they are wrong and it is not. No, take them. It is the humane thing to do. Especially for crop problems because they are fixable. They're fixable. fixable. I wish I'd had our vets, you know, back when I lost a couple of my birds to crop problems. It still haunts me. Sometimes the crop is a sign of a larger problem, Yes, but that is pretty rare. Sometimes as the body starts to slow down, the crop will too. There are some things that directly target crop function. Heavy metal poisoning can be one. Merrick's disease can be one. There are a couple of other things. Parasitic infections. It never hurts to deworm. No. We have out there our safeguard dosage, safeguard for goats. You can find it on our Instagram, Mm -hmm. Instabio, right on our Amazon storefront. And I did have a Jersey Giant. This was very long ago. I had a Jersey Giant who had a little bit of a crop that wouldn't clear. And I dewormed her. And by the third day, it was clear. Cornelia. Perfect example. Yeah, Cornelia the leg bar. Yeah. So that does happen too. Yes. So know the signs, know the progression, and know when to call the vet. So now that we've talked all that serious stuff, let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. And this week, Holly made lemon anise tea cake. Yes, very British. It is. I wasn't thinking about that. I did the recipe before we lost the queen, unfortunately. But it was to go along with the Buff Warpingtons. Right. Well, I will say that this is actually weirdly delicious. How can it be weirdly delicious? Well, it's anise. Well, I, I like it. it tastes like licorice it, to me. It does. This is anise hyssop, which I grow in my garden. Mm-hmm. It's pollinator favorite. I love it. It's like tall spikes and the leaves are anise And so what you do is you want about a quarter of a cup of the fresh leaves. You can also use the purple flowers. Okay. Because they both are that sweet anise taste. Now, I didn't touch the flowers because they were loaded with bees. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I just did a quarter of a cup of the leaves and that was fine. Yeah. So this is pretty simple. Two cups of flour. You can do gluten-free flour, a tablespoon of baking powder. You're going to use butter or dairy-free butter, a one stick at room temperature. Okay. Half a cup of sugar. Now- The Carlo house, you might up that a little bit. Actually, you can. The, <laughs> if you say that, you know in the DiCarlo house, it's going to yes. get off. You could probably go up to a cup on this if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. I like it a little less sweet than you do, but you could easily make it sweeter. Easy. Oh, we like stuff sweet here. I know. So the sugar, you can do lemon rind if you want to enhance the lemony flavor. Yeah. Your anise leaves, you want two fresh eggs, you want a tablespoon of vanilla. Oh, your eggs are going to be at room temperature. And the other thing you need is half a cup of lemon juice. You can do freshly squeezed. Or you can do from concentrate. It's still really good. Yeah. So for this one, you're going to cream the butter and sugar. I did it this way because I wanted this to be almost pound cake Yeah. So you cream the butter and sugar. You add the lemon, the hyssop leaves, the eggs, and just beat until everything's combined. You're going to have the flour, baking powder, and salt whisked together. So beat everything until they're combined. Add the lemon juice and the vanilla. Beat that in. Get the dry ingredients in there. You're going to put this into a loaf pan. You're going to bake it for like 40 to 45 minutes. Mine was done in a little over 40 minutes. My oven runs hot. Okay. So you want to check your oven and that's it. You can glaze this if you want. I didn't bother, but it would actually be delicious with a lemon glaze. Sounds good. You could decorate it with some of those anise hyssop flowers or some violas on the top, something to make it extra pretty for a tea bread. This is one you don't want to let sit around too long because it will start to get dry after a few days. In this house, nothing sits around. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and you have peat, so nothing sits around in your Generally house. Generally not, no. Baked goods go quickly. If something has not gone quickly, either you have too many of them or if someone's sick. Yeah. It's super easy. If you don't grow anise hyssop and you want to experiment with other herbs, like you could do mint or something mm-hmm. like that, feel free. It's essentially an herbed tea bread. I went with the anise because I have a boatload of it and it's delicious. And you can have coffee with your bestie and talk chickens over it. Yeah. So try it. Take some pictures. Send us pictures. Let us know what you think. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. This is my favorite retail therapy. No, (laughs) it's one of my favorites. I talk about Pyrex all the time. We call her the queen of Pyrex. (laughs) I'm staring at a Pyrex bowl in our studio. You're wearing a necklace that has a shard of Pyrex. As we're recording this tonight, we're going live on Instagram. Yes, we are. You may see it. If you see me on live, you'll see my Pyrex wear necklace. Yes. I am all about Pyrex. We needed to chickenize it because Pyrex, there's so much and it's so amazing. Yeah. We needed to narrow it down. So if you love chickens, you can get chicken Pyrex. Yeah. If you just love Pyrex, all of it's great too. Yeah. I have a couple of patterns that I really like. I have a few pieces you've given me. Yeah. And I do, I quite like it. Yeah. As I go through my stuff, you might get more. Because what happens you give me is, your cast offs? <laughs> well, sometimes you have a little different style than me. You like the blue and the that kind of stuff. I do. I like the blues and I really like the gooseberry. I like the gooseberry too. So you're not getting any gooseberry from me. Damn. <laughs> well, y'all heard it here first. But Next time we go to a thrift store, I am sprinting down the Pyrex <laughs> no, aisle no, before she gets gooseberry. down there. Pyrex glassware was created by the Corning Glass Company. Which is also big time. It's huge. In the first set, it was the primary color mixing bowls was released in 1945. And I own it. Of course you do. <laughs> Actually, you have more than one set, don't I you? I do. Yeah. And the red bowl is the hardest one to find. Uh-huh. I couldn't find it for the longest time. Quick story about the red bowl. I had all three bowls. Couldn't find the red bowl. Shout out to Alyssa. Mother's Day. We always hang out on Mother's Day with the girls. She walks in the house and she hands me this bag and it is the red bowl. Oh, nice. 
And I'm like, you found it. You went thrifting. You found it. And she's like, no, I just came from my mother's house. It was in her cabinet. (laughs) Oh, my God. So she said to her mom, Chrissy can't find this bowl. So I'm going to give it to her. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I have Miss Mary's. What are friends for? Bowl to complete my primary. That's great. That was 1945. The first set came out. So they actually kept that set out for like 20 years. It was 1945 to 1968. Yep. Then they started doing patterns. So the first pattern was the really pretty pink daisy pattern. It was 1956? Yep, 1956. You can't go wrong with that. I would take that too. But the chicken pattern. So there are two chicken patterns and one promotional pattern that Mm -hmm. features chickens. So the year after they did the pink daisies, they did the butter print. And that's my favorite. I love the blues and whites in the butter print. The butter print comes in multiple colors. And some of the colors are a little bit more rare to find. Uh Uh-huh. It comes in turquoise and white. I love that. And that one's a little bit easier to find. That's the bowl that's on our bookshelf in our recording studio that I'm staring at all the time. So it's very country. It has a long-tailed rooster and flowers. It's very nice. With like two early American people. Uh The pink and the orange are harder to find. So they're very collectible. Butterprint, pink, and orange. So you got pink and orange chickens on your butterprint. Yeah. You're you're looking at high dollars there. The butterprint is really awesome. It's an awesome print. It really is a great print. In fact, that's your necklace. It's my necklace. So that was produced from 1957 to 1968. Kind of a narrow time frame for collectors. So you're looking out there. And I always have this philosophy on Pyrex. And I always think like it's regional. Like if I travel somewhere, I like going to the Goodwill or the thrift store because mm-hmm. I want to see if they have a different one. Right. Maybe in that area that they don't have in our area. Sure. Yeah. One that we find everywhere is the early American. That's the other chicken print that was in regular production. Yes. So the early American was produced from 1962 to 1971. You've probably all seen it. You've all seen it. And actually, the rooster is, technically speaking, he's a weather vane. Yep. But it's a chicken on Pyrex. It's a chicken. I'm not crazy about the colors. It comes in white and brown and brown and gold. The colors are drab. If I had to pick, I would like the white with the brown on them. The rooster on the weather vane is quite nice. There's, what else is on there? A spice grinder, a fire bellows. Yeah. It's kind of neat stuff. It is neat. But you look at that brown and it's very 1970s. Totally. Yeah. Although the 70s did rock. Of course we did. We were born. So there you go. You've got the Butterprint in the early America. Now there's one more. The piece of the resistance. It kind of is because this was only produced as a promotional pattern. There was only one piece of Pyrex manufactured with this pattern on it. It was in 1958. So very early on. It is the Black Rooster promotional pattern. And it's the Cinderella Cradle Space Safe. So that is a particular type of casserole dish that sits in a cradle. That has a stand. The cradle is a stand. And a lid. Right. And it's like a casserole dish. Yeah. When I do Thanksgiving, and everyone thinks I'm crazy, but this is what I love about Pyrex, even the vintage. Mm-hmm. I bake everything that I'm going to serve in the Pyrex. Uh-huh. And then I put it on the table. It's a serving dish in itself. I do that too. What's and wrong with that? And then it has lids. And then yeah. I put it in the fridge. That's the whole point of the Pyrex. I fail to see why this is a problem. I do that too. I think my <laughs> I mom did that too. I mean, it saves on Tupperware. It saves on containers. Yeah. And it's beautiful to serve it in. Right. Exactly. I love it. I'd but rather store my food in glass than plastic anyway. Every time I put them in the oven, though, I'm like, oh, like I, I don't want it to crack. As long as they're not super cold when they go and it should be okay. Exactly. The promotional piece has really caught my eye because there's some unusual patterns. I love the black rooster. So it's a white casserole dish with black roosters and sunflowers. Again, it's that casserole dish with the lid. It sits in the stand. These are very collectible, and if you find one, grab it because these are high-dollar items. Oh, yeah. 
The Black Rooster promotional print is, besides the butter print, my all-time favorite print. It's fantastic. It's a black rooster with huge sunflowers and a sun. And the sun, yeah. It's pretty rare. If you see it, buy it. It is a high dollar item if you buy it from a dealer. Yeah. Where can you find Pyrex? We like to find it in the wild. Thrift shops, yard sales, estate sales, all of those sorts of places. But a lot of people, if they have pieces they really want, go to eBay and Etsy and places like that online. You're going to pay a little bit more because people have generally bought it themselves and they want to make some money back from a resale. You're definitely going to pay more from a dealer. On the other hand, it might be a good way to complete a collection. If you need to complete a collection. Or if you just want to collect the chicken Pyrexes, a dealer might be the way you want to go. I want to give a shout out as we're talking because there is a book that I own that I love. It's called Pyrex Passion and it's by Michael D. Barber. It's like an encyclopedia of Pyrex. Well, that's what it is. That's a reference book right there. It's amazing. Yeah. It's one that I used to keep on my coffee table until one of the girls spilled a glass of water on it. And girls. Then, I know. Girls. We have a store called Joe Retro near us that sells so much Pyrex. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. And she sells as I got to meet him. Nice. And he signed another copy of a book I have. He did all the legwork and research. He reminds me of you. He went and categorized everything. That's a lot of work. And did all the pictures. And in this book, there's like all the promotional pictures, like the posters. I love that, the old advertisements, that sort of thing. Yeah. We talk about the use of chickens in mid-century housewares a lot. Yeah. And, you know, Pyrex had their own set. They had chickens on it. It's something else that you can collect as a chicken lady to represent your love of chickens. That's completely functional. Yeah. With very few exceptions, I use my Pyrex. I use it all the time. Yeah. If we're just going to have chips and dip here, you and I, we're pulling out Pyrex. Yep. And I always say to you, I'm like, in the attic, in the basement, in the dining room. Right. Pyrex everywhere. Yeah. And that's why, like, when I say I go through and if I see a print that you would like, uh-huh. I ask you, would you like that? Because you can't only keep so much. Right. I mean, my house is way smaller than yours. For me, I can only keep so much, too. I'm yeah. like, I got so much of it. But it's fun to collect and it's out there and available. Exactly. So have fun. Yeah. Go get some. Go get some Pyrex. Everybody knows I love it. Check out this book, Pyrex Passion. It's great if you want to use it to categorize what you have or check out what you have and see if it's in there. It has all of it. There you go. Pyrex. And chickens. And chickens. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week is fantastic. It's a big one. We are profiling the Azure Blue. We've had a couple of listeners ask us to do this. It's a listener request. It's a hybrid chicken, but we're going to give you the history of this hybrid. Our main topic is fantastic. We had a great chat with Jessica Mitchell. She's a senior editor and podcaster for Mother Earth News. We are so excited to bring you this. Yeah, this is really fun. You're not going to want to miss it. Our cracking the eggs recipe is my celebration cake, which is made with rose water and strawberries. It's fun. It's so good. For retail therapy, we're going to go back and read you crop bras. Because we've had so many listeners ask. Exactly. We've had a lot of listener requests and we're going to give you some new options. Yes. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.